The following program contains themes and images that may not be suitable for most audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok under the name Panda Pig Inc. And be sure to like this video, subscribe, and ring the bell for more videos. Hey, it's Panda. And it's Pig. Welcome. Welcome. Back. We're on the the home stretch. Episode 16. <laughs> We've had some some interesting things going on in our lives. Some some yes. some pet passings which has been really difficult to deal some with. Mental health to deal with. Mental health to deal with and um life yeah <laughs> so so we're back this week coming in strong um we both watched this episode us. bear with us yeah we watched this episode like a week ago yeah and we just couldn't get to it because of life i know but like we had everything prepared and it was all about just getting down to record so today we're finally getting down to record and um it's good Although I do want to plug a podcast at the beginning, if I can. Okay. So I've, um, if you like deep dives into um, particular stories, listen and go listen to the Disney Story Origins podcast. It is oh, so yeah. freaking good. <laughs> Sorry, I was telling Panda about this today. Basically, the guy who does it, he just does an incredible phenomenal job where he goes in deep about different stories that inspired the Disney classics or just kind of Disney movies in general and he's been doing this I think since like 2013 but they're all great so like if you want to know about like the true story of Pocahontas the true legend of Mulan the true um, books that were written that inspired Sleeping Beauty things like that Go listen to that podcast. Totally binge-worthy. Totally worth it. All right. End go, of plug. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. <laughs> so Recommendations this... from Pig. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is The Woman in the Tunnel. And um, th I, I do remember this episode. Like when I think about Bones episodes, I will remember this episode distinctly. Um, really? I remember not caring for it as much, but I do remember watching it. Yeah. I just found it an odd episode, but after watching it at this time, I was like, oh yeah, it was solid. It's a solid I, episode. Yeah, I think I remembered it because it was, um, not your typical Bones plot line, you know, like searching yes. for like a buried treasure kind of thing, uh, was very different. And then the fact of, like, the people living underground, like, it was just a very distinct subculture that they visited this episode, and I think that's why I remembered it. Yeah. I, for some reason, I remembered it, and I thought it was later, like, in season two instead of season one. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But so, so this episode, The Woman in the Tunnel was directed by Joe Napolitano and uh, written by Greg Ball and Steve Blackman. So this is the only episode 
directed by Steve Napolitano. And then in regards to the writers, mm-hmm. let me see. Greg Ball uh, wrote on A Boy in a Bush. He wrote on The Man on the Fairway. He wrote The Woman in the Tunnel. And he wrote on The Graft, The Girl. Interesting. Um, and Steve Blackman also wrote on A Boy in a Bush, also wrote on The Man in the Fairway, also wrote on The Woman in the Tunnel. So, um... They this, like working together. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably why you don't care for this episode, because they both also wrote on The Man in the Fairway. Which one was The Man in the Fairway? <laughs> the one where the Jesse Kane character is constantly telling Bones she should research uh... her parents. But interestingly but enough, I liked the boy in the bush, though. But uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, but I did like boy in the bush. I think it's, I think it's probably more on the director than the writers because, well, it's kind of tough because it's both. The director can make all sorts of changes and can take a script that could be perceived one way and make it look in another way in action. True. So it's kind of very true kind of a tough one but they're very talented writers i won't take that away from them um but but those are those are the people for this episode the premise of this episode is a body is found in a i think it's a is it a ventilation shaft an air shaft like that it was like an air shaft yeah Yeah, a body is found in an air shaft, and it turns out to be the body of this documentarian who was murdered by um, some colleagues for some underground treasure found in these hidden caves underneath Washington, D.C. that are like historical um, safes for artifacts and gold. Um and while it happens you kind of uh explore the subculture of people who live beneath the city in the sewers and um different ducks and stuff so it's kind of an an interesting episode i would say not too much on the on the bones and booth fan service not too much on the crazy forensic stuff but very interesting um just episode in general i guess yeah i mean it was interesting to see what type of personalities came out of everyone from this episode so yeah yeah there was i had a little bit more like analytical commentary i noticed with this one than like than like um law enforcement commentary or character based commentary interesting I had a lot of character-based comedy on a uh, commentary, honestly. So. Oh, I'm sure it's comedy. <laughs> yeah, I have some thoughts. <laughs> All right, are you ready to get started? Let's get into it. All right, let me get comfortable. All right, so it starts off with Bones, Booth, and Zach traveling down an air shaft to the crime scene of a young woman. Her body has been stripped away by rats to make them disperse Bones. At- oh, oh my gosh, the scene. Bones asks Booth for his gun and shoots some of the rats for them to eat each other to discourage them away from the remains. So Bones examines the remains, uh, sees that they uh, that the legs are broken, and she's unsure if the victim died before or after the fall down the air shaft. 
um, in the distance, Bones observes a man running away uh, and calls out to him. But he gets away. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, they were going down that shaft. And I'm like, I'd be terrified. I would be too. Like, I was like, yo, mm-hmm. is there another way? Like, take me the long way. Why have you taken the shortcut? This is terrifying, yo. Like, no. No, no, yes. no, no, no. I do not like this form of transportation. Um, and I do like that they make it a point later, too, on how it doesn't seem like Bones to run after the man she saw. Like, it's just like, okay, that's out of your character. But they do point that out on how yeah. she was getting a bit, you know, more rebellious, adventurous. And it's mm-hmm. like, honey, you work in a lab. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. So those are my only real thoughts on that one. I think you know where I'm going to go with this one. And I this is where, where I'm annoying. I'm annoying and I'm going a broken record. Did you research about the rats eating no, each no, other? No, no, no. No, no, no. Okay. Bones and guns on this show oh, is a freaking no. nightmare. Here First of go. all, <laughs> she doesn't have the authority to shoot Booth's weapon. The fact that they aren't in a life or death scenario situation could mean like Booth gets his ass handed to him at work. He's also dumb for giving her the gun in the first place. It doesn't matter if he trusts her. Because she's like, don't you trust me? It doesn't matter if she trusts you. She's not authorized to fire your assigned weapon. Like, so how, how do you expect her to kill the rats? Do you want her to split them in half? I don't know. Like, Fatality? Some, some, she can't shoot them with his gun. Like, that's not a thing. And, like, also, there's the fact that she could be contaminating the crime scene with his bullets and the particulates from his gun. You, you don't know what else you're cross-firing here. You're ruining your own crime scene. And then let Movie alone, let's magic, say some... Yo. Let Hold on. Let's say some of those rats have evidence in their systems. Now also destroyed by the gunpowder and the explosions of shooting those rats. I'm just saying. Do you think it would destroy all the evidence, though? It, it would... I would say it would do... It, whether or not it destroys evidence... It creates a reasonable argument for a good defense lawyer to get their client off for this crime. Interesting. Like, it does, I guess the truth is when it comes to criminal procedures, it doesn't matter whether or not the evidence survives or whether or not, you know, nobody gets hurt. The fact that they are acting technically in an unethical way or not following protocol or potentially contaminate a crime scene would mm-hmm. give a defense attorney enough fuel to say, how can I trust this evidence when it was presented and obtained in such an unethical and unorthodox way? Which is valid. Yeah. I, I could see that. So those are my thoughts there. <laughs> I, I I get annoyed with myself now. <laughs> Thank you, Pickapedia. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so in the next scene, the body is identified by the serial number on a pin found in the victim's leg. Apparently, they had a skiing accident. The victim is Marnie Hunter. She's 24 years old and a documentary filmmaker. 
she, oh, excuse me, she was reported missing by her fiance. Hodgins puts the time of death at around 10 days prior, and Bones can't definitively say whether Marnie was dead before the fall or may have been simply unconscious. That's another thing they still haven't figured out yet. Yeah. I didn't really have thoughts on that one, to be honest. I didn't either. Let's move on to Marnie's fiance, okay? Okay. The actor who plays um, Marnie's fiance is David Denman. And Mm -hmm. to pay some fan service to um, people who like The Office, uh, he plays Roy, Pam's first fiance. He also plays a character... In Angel, a demon named Skip. So, for Panda, as she continues watching Angel. Ooh, (laughs) intriguing. (laughs) There are so many Angel characters that show up, and Buffy characters that show up in this show. So, um, so then Michelle Geller don't show up in Bones, right? Her husband do though, you know. He do, he do, and we get to watch them. You know, beat each other's asses. So it's like, (laughs) she my woman. No, she my woman. Well, she used to be my woman. Well, now she my. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So, they're at Booth's office, and Bones and Booth meet with Marnie's fiancé. His name's Philip Garfield. He explains that Marnie was independent and liked to work alone, and that her most recent work uh, was on people living beneath the city. She asked a social worker, Helen, to help her introduce her to introduce Marnie to the people who lived there. Um, and by watching some of Marnie's footage, Bones sees the man that she saw in the tunnel in the first scene of the episode. Uh. I think I first wondered why he never worked with her, but it makes sense why she chose to work alone. That's all I really thought. Like, why would your husband not want to work with you? But at the same time, like, I see why. You know, that's her thing, not really his thing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think about, like, if that's something, like, she's pursuing, like, it's not, like, a legit job. She's just her passion. Like, I was just like, dude. Well, I think she is using it for her legit job, though. Well, eventually, mm. but it, like she started documenting and stuff, but he was talking like, you know, she used to just go places. She would just explore, oh, right. be adventurous. Yeah. And I was like, well, why don't you go with her? You yeah. Know? I think interesting enough for people when it comes to like compatibility with your partner, whether or not you like to travel is something that should be discussed because I don't feel like homebodies true homebodies and adventurers are really going to mesh in the long run. I mean, it's a valid statement. You know. I could see that. Yeah, my because thoughts... eventually it collides. Yeah. And causes conflicts. Yeah. My thoughts for this section was, like, dude looks bummed, but, like, I'd prefer if he at least shed a tear considering she's dead and he was going to marry her. This is always my gripe with these shows. Like, the they love of your life emotion or it's too much <laughs> yeah there's no middle ground i need some good actors to to really feel that this um, is why they are temporary yes um i'm also wondering how bones is able to recognize this man considering it was supposedly so dark 
and he was like right so far away i'm like how are you able to identify this man you know um also to note unfortunately people really do live underground um particularly in new york and in las vegas what yeah yeah there's a documentary on um on amazon prime called dark days made in like the year 2000 about the people who live under new york and then in uh you can go on youtube and you can find videos of journalists uh interviewing people who live uh under las vegas in the different tunnels and stuff they even had a murder uh of a guy who lived underneath the tunnel a couple of months ago was like stabbed his body was found there (laughs) But yeah, people legit That's live wild. under the city. I'm getting like us vibes, <laughs> you know, like the tunnels. The no, tethers. it's it's mostly a, the homeless population, like a, dude. Yeah, I could see that. But what? Yeah, that's, that's true. pretty cool, but wild. Yeah, if you want to read up more about it, look, read up about the people who live underneath New York and Las Vegas. That's pretty. I feel like we should like look more into that <laughs> i i dope. definitely can that would be a whole episode in itself that's pretty dope like mm-hmm. we could have our thoughts about that i think i propose that idea okay let's do well, it let's let's put a pin in it <laughs> okay <laughs> um <laughs> so in the next in the next scene helen takes booth and bones through the tunnels where the people live she explained that marnie wanted to be introduced to them um as well as for her film. Helen saw Marnie as exploitative. Helen introduced Bones to Bo- Bones and Booth to Harold Overmeyer, the man Marnie dubbed as the mayor of Moletown. He seems to have some sort of status amongst the people. He seems to be like a mediator, a leader, etc. After Booth is aggressive, shocking, with Overmeyer, Bones suggests that he use a respectful tone while Bones and Overmeyer speak, um, Booth spots Marnie's camera equipment behind him in a crate. So Booth retrieves it, and in the crate is also some bloody clothing and bone fragments. So from this evidence, they um, decide to arrest uh, Overmeyer. I have thoughts. Hmm. <laughs> so... I don't know how I feel about, like, documentaries, about places, like, I like learning about them, but, yeah, if you think about it, like, obviously there's consent and it's for informative reasons, but the ones that are, like, doing it for money and they, like, you know, Hollywood it, like, Mm. they just overdo it, it's just, it's pretty slimy. I feel like if you're, if you're gonna make, if you're gonna make a documentary on these sorts of topics, you need to be donating the proceeds or doing some kind of to help like them. connection to helping the people. I mean, if they want help at the same time, like obviously yeah, not everybody like, wants help, you know. But, but even time, so, I feel like it would or something, mm-hmm. some kind just, of out of some sort of respect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. But something I do, I did appreciate how Bones was able to talk Booth down. It was just, again, it feels out of character. Like, why Booth? What? What? Mm -hmm. But I I like how he respected her wishes. I like how they show that. Um, But I overall, 
I thought Harold was a sweetie in general, like overall. But I did question, like, could Booth do that? Like, just straight up take the crate and be like, "Oh, I see something." No, it's in plain is in plain view. Interesting. Did he Would it have... be considered property though? If it's they all live underground and it's all kind of a big tunnel and it's just a tent. Even if it's in? doesn't matter. So it's the the question you always ask yourself is did he have a reasonable expectation of privacy to where that crate was? Hmm. To where it could be seen. Could anybody go underneath those tunnels? Who has access? The answer is anybody. Anybody could go underneath those tunnels. Yeah. Uh, that crate, it wasn't far back inside, tucked away in a corner um, where it couldn't be seen. If you're walking past in those side. tunnels, you can see that crate. Therefore, even if Harold Overmeyer's little residence doesn't have an address and it's not official... You could probably consider he has a reasonable expectation of privacy to something further back in a way. But that crate, plain view in in a place that anybody has access to. Um, Interesting. And they have the reasonable suspicion that all of those items are related to a murder. And the fact that Harold Overmeyer is in possession of those items gives them reasonable suspicion enough to question him about it in custody hmm. so technically okay. yeah they could do that mm-hmm. well, that sucks <laughs> but i mean it works for mm-hmm. them and uh but in general like obviously booth is to interrogations as bones is to gun usage just unnecessarily aggressive um i think it would be different if booth was like a street cop you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, where he's dealing with, um, you know, every all types of people on a daily basis. But considering that he's a detective, you would think he would do a better job with his observation intact, like to wait before he pushes a certain narrative to kind of feel out the people that he's talking to instead of judging them immediately. Like, obviously, you know, there are bad cops and bad detectives who who do this but for booth being presented as a good detective he just always jumps the gun first like i mean granted there's your gut feeling but he doesn't take enough time to really gather in all the information but um but either way you know like i said the the everything's in plain view so and they're totally fine for taking him in for questioning but it obviously shows it takes them a lot t- longer to get information out of him by the methods that they end up using. Which makes sense. I could see that. You know? Um, yeah. In the next scene, Angela brings um, some food to Bones, who's been working nonstop. Uh, they have a talk where Angela wished that Bones would just be more scared and careful And Angela says that she seems to be running out into danger more and more rather than being in the lab. So Angela is concerned and expressing those concerns. So funny how she brings food to Bones, who's been working nonstop and forgets to eat. 
huh, 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 pig, this is <coughs> so you because whoa, you whoa. forget to eat. Whoa, I did, I did not. Attack. Hey, I did not ask <laughs> to be attacked here today. This is totally you, though, forgetting to eat and time getting away from me. You're like, oh, yeah, I should probably eat lunch. <laughs> like. It, it comes from having um an un- unhealthy relationship with food growing up True. you know it, it, like it catches that. up with you if you if you ever trauma with food if you threw up as a teenager if you starved yourself as a teenager if you had any sort of eating disorders as a teenager and then as a young adult you don't have those things anymore you're still screwed up like you don't know where your hunger cues are it just be like that sometimes. It do. And that's why I'm here. To, <laughs> to call to me eat. out for yes. not eating. I mean, we have to constantly remind our other gal, hey, coffee is not yeah. a meal. We we are actually not a duo, but in truth, a trio. And we while trio. while I am pan- pig <laughs> and I she panda. is panda, are we have. Our third Our musketeer moose. is Moose, and Moose yes. is worse than I am about eating. Yes, incredibly worse. And yeah. thank you, mental health. <laughs> we got to get Moose on an episode one day. We might try to do something with Moose, hopefully. Maybe we could do something all together. I think that would be really fun. I think Moose is a too. hoot. Moose is a hoot. We could so. try that concept of telling stories with her. She might like it. You know what? I think she w- she would love it if she could describe the plots of books to us that we are never going to read. Let's move on before we go. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, um, I'm definitely I'm already with An- visualizing. <laughs> I'm definitely with Angela on this one. Um, yes. except that, you know, we're only in season 1 and Bones will not yeah. be slowing down anytime soon or be yeah. any more cautious. <laughs> so, you know. Do you think this is the first case where Bones really feels like she relates to the victim? Um. Because she does it a lot more times, but I feel like this might be one of the first cases where she really relates to the victim. Like, feeling like, I see myself in her. She's me. You hmm. know? Looking back at the episodes we've covered so far, I think she... For me, I think she, the most I've seen her empathize is the man in the fairway and the man in the fallout shelter. Because, oh yeah, man in fallout shelter is the other one I thought of too. Yeah. But that one was not the victim as much. Yeah, was it was the, the victim's family. family. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say, yeah. Because I, I think this one's directly with the victim. Mm-hmm. It's the first I could see she... that relates specifically directly with the victim and i was like oh this is the first time i think i've seen this yeah i'm with you there i'm with you there because they do this more Mm -hmm. and i was like i think it's kind of cool how they make it a thing though where it's like yeah she feels like she can identify Mm -hmm. with people so you know something something that i also really enjoy about the friendship between bones and angela Mm. is there is never any competition ever like the cattiness and jealousy that you see represented in female friendships a lot on television and in and, and in fiction and in real life too but also the fact that 
Angela never gets mad at Bones. I mean, she does, but she always... It's not in a way of envy or, like, jealousy, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know... Like, I want to tear you down. It's like they rely on each other and yeah. know each other's capabilities and talents. It's not like, oh, I can't like, rely on her mm-hmm. for anything. She's useless. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and if there's you know, a disagreement. Like she knows they yeah. can do it. And if there's a disagreement or anger, it's never a fight, you know? Mm-mm. I think the reason why is I related a lot to our friendship where we've never fought ever. Like we've had disagreements and discussions, always discussions, discussions all the time and disagreements all the time, but we've never fought. We've never called each other names. We've never like, um, ignored each other or said, Oh, I need to cool off from you. I need a minute. And we've been friends for how many years now? Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. And, uh, we've never fought. So yeah. it's I, we're very we over communicate. So yeah. it's like we know how to talk each other down. And, and even when we didn't do anything, yeah. we'll still apologize for things we haven't done. Yes. Yes. And I think our dysfunction of over communicating de- definitely is what reminds me of uh Angela and Bones cuz both of them will overshare but in different ways. Yes. And so. uh you know, and I never really noticed that, like, in my previous rewatches. But when you're analyzing it, and I'm always seeing Angela come up with, you know, checking in with Bones and showing her concern and just being really good at communicating. Like, Angela is an amazing communicator. Like, people should use her as a reference when teaching people how to communicate because she just does it very plainly, very sweetly. Can she be our therapist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's not accusatory or anything, but she's no, very real. She's not. I'm like, wow. Amazing. I only really have a problem with the way she thinks in later seasons with the whole boot yes. situation. Yes. That's, for that, the, we'll get into that later. <laughs> for the most part, my critique is this: she's the, solid. these current she's episodes. So solid. Up until between 1 and episode 16 that we're watching is my critiques. Obviously, she's we build solid. as we go. Yes. Well, yeah. Love her ever since. Yes. From day one. Yes. So, so Zach tells Hodgins how he uh, determined some of the fractures on Marnie's skull appear to be the result of some blunt force trauma from a pointy mm-hmm. object. Hodgins shows a mysterious Latin coin that he thinks Overmeyer gave to Marnie. They agree that it should be looked at by Dr. Goodman. So Dr. Goodman takes a look at it, but determines that Angela should reconstruct it for a more for more accurate information. And Hodgins is just like trying to pawn off this evidence to Dr. Goodman and Dr. Goodman rejects it. He's like, nope, I don't want to deal with the paperwork. So ultimately, (laughs) the coin is taken to Angela, who does not also who also does not want to take possession of it. Um, But ultimately, Angela renders the image and Dr. Goodman recognizes it. He gets very excited, takes the coin, and leaves. And then everybody's like, yep, he's taking official possession of that evidence. <laughs> I like how they make it a point, like, in that specific thing with this specific piece. Like, there is paperwork. And they make it mm-hmm. known, like, yes, people got to deal with the paperwork. Yeah, I think, um, yeah. I think it's supposed to be, it sounds like it's supposed to be, like, a standard protocol. But it's the first I've heard it mentioned. Yes. 
Um, but see, this is another example how they can use Dr. Goodman. Mm-hmm. So it's like, look, look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Um, did you like the little handshake Hodgins and Angela did? Like yes. The, their friendship. You see their friendship growing so strong. They are so Throughout precious. these episodes. Like, it's growing so solid. And that's why I'm like, I feel like the ship between them just... It just grows so much because you're like, mm-hmm. look, they're so solid. They get along so well. The chemistry is so good. Like, chef's kiss. I love it. Yeah, they're adorable. I can't get enough of them. Mm-mm. Um. So Dr. Goodman obviously takes a, takes a look at the coin and uh, talks to Bones and Booth. He tells them that it is an official vault seal manufactured by the war office. Apparently vaults under the city held cultural treasures artifacts and different things like that while many are empty many are unaccounted for during due to earthquakes and mudslides so booth cites the possibility of the treasure and the found coin to be the motive for marnie's death you know what got me though is like, not as much surprised about Bones' reaction, but I was really surprised, like, Booth wasn't even impressed by the treasure. Right? Like, only Dr. Goodman is, like, excited. Like, but I think it's also because they didn't really develop Booth as much till later. But knowing how Booth's character is overall, this is something he would have been, like, excited He's such about a US in later buff. seasons. But then right now... Is showing like oh it's not really his thing and he's more focused on the case but yeah he definitely in later seasons he definitely would have been like this is cool yeah treasure treasure, treasure. like bones we're treasure, treasure hunters get it you know yeah it would have so, been a little bit more bones quirky. is like i'm bones is like i get it but at the same time i still think she would have found it fascinating you know she'd be like i agree oh, okay kind of like with the whole penny thing how she's like this penny is worth a lot Okay, well, this is literally buried treasure, and you're like, hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I agree. Yeah, those are my thoughts on that one. Yeah, I didn't really have any thoughts about that section beyond what you've already said, because, you know, (laughs) we share our brains sometimes. We really do. It's okay. Yeah, it'd be like that. So, um, in the car, Bones and Booth discuss motives for Omnion. (sighs) It's 11.36 at night. (sighs) Okay. So, in the car, um, they discuss the motives for Marnie's murder. Booth suspects Helen because she's blonde. um, Because, oh, I forgot. We forgot to mention that Overmeyer said, had mentioned that the blonde found Uh, Marnie. That there was something about a blonde, a blonde lady. So, um, Booth suspects Helen because Helen is blonde, but Bones isn't convinced. And as they discuss more, Hodgins calls, noting that he found diamond dust on the clothing, suggesting that Marnie was in an older system of tunnels prior to her death. Bones and Booth decide to go back to speak with Harold about, um, the different tunnels. I thought of social worker too, though. Yeah, she's blonde. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. Mean, 
It's I do like how we got more to Booth in his background again. Yes. So we got a little more of that. But mm-hmm. other than that, yeah, that's all my thoughts about it. I don't really yeah. have much to be honest. It's it's interesting how they were talking about gold dust in in the treasure of the Sierra Madre and then Hodgins calls about diamond dust. Like, because they're having that conversation about yeah, gold dust yeah. in the movie. And then also, they really build in this season on how Booth is tortured about his military past and the things he had to do as a sniper. Yeah. Um, and honestly, he should have did, he should have did better with like the whole brothers in arms things, considering Harold is a veteran as well. You think that that's the angle he would have initially came from of that empathy of, of a fellow, you know, right vet. Those are the but only things I thought about. He doesn't come around until later, so it's like, mm. yeah. So, um, so Booth and Bones speak with Helen, and you know, asserting that she may be this quote-unquote blonde, and she explains that when she turned Mar- she turned Marnie away. She looked to Harold and other people as guides. The two men um, who helped her, who actually were with Marnie, were knowledgeable on climbing and ropes. Yeah, I didn't really care. I was just like, <laughs> Marnie's annoying as I did relate to the part where they were like, Booth was like, you know the treasure of the Sierra Madre, but you don't know who Charlize oh. Theron is. <laughs> I was like, it's I'm like, you're not, my grandmother. <laughs> I'm not that bad, but uh, but I do feel like a grandmother sometimes. Because <laughs> he's like, he's like, you're my, you know who you are, Bones. You're my grandmother, and I was like, man, I relate. I'm not, I'm a I'm a grandmother. <laughs> um, but ultimately, Angela and Zach learn from the Angelina that. Angelator that Marnie was struck by a left-handed person. See, so we get that use of the angelator, which is nice. Yes, so we, still we love got the it. use of the angelator. So Bones and Booth question um, the men about Marnie's death. The two climbing instructors, Kyle Montrose and Duke Dialo. I first I thought they were a gay couple. To be honest, I mean they could be. They could be. They still could be. Oh, y'all sus. Y'all sus. Yeah. So, so they get questioned, and they say, "I'm sorry." (laughs) So they say um, that they They never that they never accompanied Marnie. Um, One of them actually ended up having an affair with Marnie, but later broke up with her because she was engaged, and that, and they didn't want to get married. This is where we got, like, actual motion about her death. Mm-hmm. So we we're like, well, there it is, but he's overdoing right. it. Right, but actually, no, he doesn't know. Um, I think that one's Kyle. He Kyle doesn't know that Duke is the one who killed her. Yeah, but I mean, like, he's, like, overdoing it. Like, the crying, like, ah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But also, like, these are some fake some bitches. Um, yeah. Showing so. more sadness about her death than her freaking fiance <laughs> imagine that they're like hey man i know you sleep in with her but i want this treasure so i'm gonna take her out of the picture real quick but also tell me why they were making me think of the crap brothers from zabumafu because when i think of like two Dude. two average white men Dude. with climbing equipment and like <laughs> random you know 
blocked colored they shirts. Just, they just need a lemur. I'm like, I'm like, are these the Crab Brothers? Like, they look nothing like them. But they look nothing like. They gave them. me that vibe. I mean, I forgot what duo I thought of, but I did think of another duo. I just can't remember right now. Damn but it, I was woman. Like, yeah, I know. Tell me the duo. They they have those vibes. I just yeah, the Crab Brothers. You know. I remember um, when I had it at all. <laughs> So, yeah. so Bones and Booth, they bring Phil back in, the fiancé, um, at the office to talk about the affair. He admits that the wedding was called off and that Marnie cheated often. Phil argues that, you know, Marnie always came back to him, though. And instead... you want to marry someone who doesn't even want you? <laughs> and insisted that he didn't, that, you know... They loved each other. Uh, but Bones wants to give Marnie the benefit of the doubt. And uh, Booth points out that the motive, you know, is the motive. But um, I feel like these types of relationships, like I said, where you have like the adventurer and the homebody or the person who wants to sleep with multiple people and the person who wants to be monogamous. It's like you either either you either need to end the relationship or you need to adapt, you know, if this. It's just not working, bro. Yeah, because, like, if he says Marnie always comes back to him, like, maybe he should have just had an open relationship with her where she can sleep around, but he is her main significant other or whatever. Like, he's her number one guy. But also, this, or maybe, like, a don't ask, don't tell thing, but, like, the... This monogamy he's trying to work out, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for it because it's like you know who she is, and either you adapt. And you knew what you were getting yourself into, so it's mm-hmm. like, what did you think? Like you, you were going to marry her anyway, and are you really surprised? Like you yeah. knew this is how she was. So, but also on her, like y- clearly you know how you are. So it's like, why would you accept a marriage? Yeah, don't commit to a guy who's looking for monogamy if you aren't going to give it. Exactly. That's not fair to either. So they just felt bad for each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's interesting stuff. But um, Psychology, psychology. Yes, Bones and Booth, you know, they speak with Harold again. He agrees to take them through the tunnels. Harold believes that he lives underground to pay penance for his past. He only takes Bones and Booth to the perimeter as he believes it's unsafe. And Bones and Booth go past and Bones finds some skeletal remains. She deadass says, Bones really says in this one that he's mentally ill. Like, damn. I mean, like, he probably is. He, the man's clearly got PTSD. Yeah, but you don't just straight up be like, yeah, bro, you mentally ill. Like, damn. He's the illest. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, geez, Bones, savage. That's what I would say, honestly, though. Those are my vibes. I mean, she's just blunt. She's straightforward. Yes. You know. Yeah, that's probably why it's my vibes. I'm very blunt and straightforward, mm-hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. So Bones, Hodgins, and Zach, and Dr. Goodman, they examine the new remains. They determine it's a set of Civil War era remains. Despite their better judgment, Zach and Hodgins join Dr. Goodman in his typical conjecture regarding uh, a hypothesis. 
um, that the soldier and another fought over a potential treasure, leaving one of them dead. Dr. Goodman is set to review the city plans to get some more information on where the vault might be, where all the treasure is. I just love how Dr. Goodman is just so passionate in the scene. I was just like, y'all, <laughs> yes. get on his level. He yes. is so passionate. This is where he shines. Y'all show nothing. He's literally so passionate. Throw him a bone. And they were like, mm. This is the doctor. You know what? You know why this episode stands out? It's the Dr. Goodman potential episode. I thought you were going to say it's the Dr. Goodman show. I was like, <laughs> it is the Dr. Goodman show. Yes. But also the the part where Hodgins and Zach both feel as though they've gone to the dark side because they're posing scenarios is so precious. These are facts. They're like, I uh-oh. <laughs> we're, we're fucking up is, is what they're thinking. Um... So Angela tells Bones that she's nervous to meet with Harold because from what she's heard about him, she's kind of scared of him. And um, in the FBI interrogation room, when they meet, while she's scared at first, um, you just see more of Angela's empathy. She closes the blinds for him um, because he's mostly underground. He's not used, his eyes aren't used to the light. So then they discuss and Angela begins to sketch the blonde. What gets from his me memory. though? So how Angela tells Bones that she's like nervous to meet Harold and how mm-hmm. Bones is the one who gives advice, I think it was a really big turning point because I was like, Bones telling Angela how to be really changed her because as episodes go, like, you notice how Angela's the one to bring Bones down back to reality and say, mm-hmm. remember, people are people. Right. But in this situation, it was vice versa. It was True. Bones telling Angela. So it's almost like the show made it more like Bones laid out the foundation for Angela to grow and help Angela bring Bones down and be like people Basically, people. and also, like, sometimes people will be able to teach somebody else a lesson but not not understand it themselves and then yes. it'll flop and you'll teach each other the same lesson so yes. i can definitely see that in regards to a friendship like whether they did this intentionally or not i thought it was a pretty damn like good thing regardless mm-hmm. i think it whether it's intentional or not i think it was a really good scene it shows a lot and it showed a lot of growth in angela from that mm-hmm. point on it also like shows the type of person she is that even though angela is scared she's empathetic and compassionate she may be a little narrow-minded in regards to you know quote-unquote scary people living underground but she still she sees yeah she sees harold as a human being and she speaks to him like he's a human being and that's something that i do love about angela that she brings to the team is she just has a way of making other people feel at ease. She's you know. the one that makes people feel human. Yes. Yes, she's very... <laughs> so I really liked that scene. Yes. Um, <laughs> did you have any other thoughts on that scene? No, that was really it. <laughs> okay. So uh, Bones and Zach observe that the murder weapon um, made like... What did I say? A a patter on the skull, like what? What? What did I even write here? Bones and Zach observe the murder weapon patter on the skull. Pattern. Pattern. 
Are you okay? Pattern. They observe the pattern on it's the skull. It's your bedtime, I know. Or it's, it's beyond. <laughs> um, I'm, 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 I'm a grandmother. You okay? A grandmother. Um, <laughs> pattern. Pattern on the skull. When Booth interrupts, uh, as he received footage from Phil... On the tape, yeah. it shows Marnie underground with Duke and Kyle, meaning that they lied about never being underground with Marnie. That footage was totally fuckboy energy. Oh my god. Yo. Like, kill me. Straight up fuckboy energy. I hated everything about it. you know what fuckboy energy is, just look up fuckboy energy. Like. You, don't, you don't have to look it up. It was that footage. Exactly. Like, that. that's, that's fuckboy energy right there. Like, the heck? I hated every minute of, of it. Facts. <laughs> um, so Booth arrives at the lab, informing that the men had not returned to their apartment since they had initially met with them. Bones believes that the murder weapon is a climbing pickaxe. Angela arrives and uh, with an archaic-looking sketch, and Dr. Goodman recognizes it as the uh, female in a rare Rayburn painting. This means that Harold has been to the vault because the blonde he was describing is not an actual person, but a painting. A painting. That would Again, be underground. More Dr. Goodman. Passion. Mm-hmm. It's like he knows he's about to be written out, and he's like, let me show you I'm a part of the team. But they totally yes. made the characters not vibe with him. So it's like... <sighs> I know, but I like it when like he identifies the painting and Angela's like, I'm good. <laughs> She's like, I'm talented. Like, that was cute. But yeah, like, Dr. Goodman, this was like his aha moment. Like, this was him peak essential. It was adorable. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, on the Angelator, Bones Booth and Dr. Goodman and Angela try to narrow down which route to take to get back to the vault. Zach positively IDs the weapon as a climbing pickaxe. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. And then we find out it's so dumb. Yeah. So boys. this this scene is when I went a little Pigopedia. Because you remember how they're discussing they're like what type of reasoning they want to use to determine to narrow down the um the different tunnels. <laughs> and how they would find where it would be. It was mm-hmm. total bullshit. So so they they're talking about um, Dr. Goodman gives three options, reductive reasoning, inductive reasoning, and deductive reasoning, okay? Mm-hmm. So, here's, here's a little, um, lesson on them. Right, okay. Wikipedia. So, reductive reasoning is also basically considered a combination of deductive and inductive reasoning, okay? Mm-hmm. Inductive reasoning, because it strives to prove an understanding of something that's likely to be true, while deductive reasoning tries to reassemble, to resemble traits of critically and rationally, of like reducing something to a, a conclusive or inconclusive argument. So reductive is explain something complex through oversimplification. So example would be. Bones is super smart and reads every day. If we read every day, we'll be super smart. So that's reductive reasoning. Interesting. Okay? Inductive reasoning is you start with something specific 
and then you get broad, meaning that your conclusion is probable. Okay, so uh, for example, everyone I know has a crush on a coworker. Bones and Booth work together and have a crush on each other. Therefore, everyone has had a crush on a co-worker. This statement is probable, <laughs> but it's not a fact. Okay? So, those are the ones that I hate, honestly. I hate so, <laughs> so what you're doing is you're taking these two statements and you're saying because they're both true that X is probable. So the example yeah. of this that they use is um, what, what um, Booth says. He says, diamond dust is in the old tum tunnels. There was diamond dust on the Civil War guy. Therefore, the civil the vault will be in an old tunnel. So when Booth makes that statement, Dr. Goodman is like, we're using deductive reasoning. We decided not to use inductive reasoning. And Booth doesn't understand mm -hmm. why. And that's why. Because he's using these smaller clues to make a bigger assumption. So the one that they decide to go with is called deductive reasoning. It's where you start broad and then you get specific. So meaning your conclusion is more certain. So an example of that would be forensic anthropologists have a degree. Bones is a forensic anthropologist. Therefore, Bones has a degree. The conclusion there is a fact and it's certain. It's not probable that Bones has a degree. It's, it's certain that certain. Bones has a degree. So that's <laughs> like the reasoning ones, yeah. that they wanted that to makes use. Sense. They wanted solid facts. They yes. didn't want guessing. Okay, that's mm -hmm. hilarious. So that I, I, so I tried Booth to use saying both. his remark. They're just like, why are you guessing? Basically, they basically said, we're stating facts, and you're playing the guessing game. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Bro? So the He's reasoning. Like, I don't understand this game. <laughs> the reasoning that like um um. It's uh, it makes me think of like Sherlock Holmes, you know, where he's like, oh, you have paint on your shoe, therefore you were painting your house or you have a tan line on your finger, therefore you're having an affair. You know, it's like you'll take it's something specific and then and you you'll make a broad assumption about it. And that was the reasoning that Booth was using. And they had decided on deductive. So there is a purpose for each of these different reasonings. But you have to understand the conclusion you're going to get to. With inductive reasoning, you're going to get a probable conclusion. And sometimes that is as good as it gets. Sometimes that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a probable statement. But with the deductive reasoning, you're trying to get it down to a very specific and certain conclusion. So I hope facts. I explained that right. So maybe if, you know, someone wants to correct me, but um, I just thought that was very interesting and kind of more of the, the meta understanding where they kind of make Booth look dumb, but it's these simple concepts that Booth isn't dumb. He just wasn't understanding. Yeah. I mean, I got it. So I think if you, I figured it out, then hopefully y'all figured it out. Did you like my bones examples? I did. I think the bones examples are very good. Well okay, done. good. Round of applause, clapping. <laughs> I'm very proud. It was okay. very good. Um, I was able to comprehend puny brain you. work. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So, uh, 
In the next scene, Bones, once they decide on a route to take, Bones and Booth begin the route in the tunnels, and they can't coordinate with the tack team. And so Booth decides that they will, you know, go on the search for the vault on their own. So Bones finds a piece of the skull on the ground, and then they find a small window flap, and, and they see inside this little window flap is the Rayburn painting. So Bones and Booth, um, you know, they get in there, and the guys are there, and they they stick them up with, with the guns, and then both um, Booth gives Kyle the restraints to handcuff Duke. And when Bones goes over to handcuff Kyle, <laughs> she reveals that the killer was left-handed. And then Kyle realizes that Duke is left-handed, um, also realizing Duke as the killer, and goes to strike him. It was so funny. Yeah. But Bones felt like such a badass. In yes. Scene. I do also love that she got into Boots' head by being like, yeah, you're TikTok 3 tiktok team that that was hilarious i love that part (laughs) oh it was so funny i was like yes there you go getting in each other getting in your head Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love it (laughs) the influence yes (laughs) i loved that too and i also was like (sighs) at the same time with booth like don't reveal the dude is left-handed when you're about to cuff this guy oh man But, um, It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So so we catch the bad guys in this one. Mm-hmm. And Bones, Dr. Goodman, and Booth, um, you know, they, you know, discuss how Duke was the murderer. And I thought this exchange was funny because Bones doesn't know about um, Clue. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> you Clue know? reference. I loved it. It, honestly i didn't catch it when i when i remember when i watched it when i was younger i didn't understand and then when i watched it now i'm like oh yeah that mm-hmm. is totally a clue reference and i'm like wow that totally went over my head i feel like bones <laughs> would either really love clue or really hate clue yeah i don't think there's an in-between i feel like it's really a hit or miss like oh, okay she'll love the fact of this or she'd be like this makes no sense yeah she'd be like, like she'd either love it or she'd be like this you're just guessing yeah and then it's like that's the whole point (laughs) right and so the episode ends where bones booth and angela take harold back home um which was nice and that's the end of the episode it was a nice episode yeah i i found it to be like very enjoyable very basic i didn't get too angry watching it you know they totally dropped the whole concept of the documentary like after the beginning they kind of just went yeah by concept mm-hmm. kind of went away mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i thought i thought it was a solid episode i liked it yeah um it was really interesting to see the different type of characters and how like their development was a bit different and how mm-hmm. it's evolved from then so i really enjoyed watching that but man dr goodman your performance was just chef's kiss in this one so he's, good he's a real one a real <laughs> i love it are you ready for some true crime? All right, we gonna wrap up this commentary, mm-hmm. and now we're gonna get into the true crime segment. So okay, what you got? it's it's not too long of one. I will not be showing pictures again, um, for reasons that will be explained. 
as we okay. go on. Um, okay. So, 44-year-old Ann Hoover, she's the eldest of three siblings living in South Oakland, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1997. She's 44? Yeah. Okay. So, Hoover has a degree in music from Marietta College played the piano and um, gave out lessons for the piano. Her great loves were her family in Ross and her animals. She in particular had a dog that she loved. I think they said it was a poodle. Um, She made a habit of rescuing and caring for abused animals. Oh, yes, including her blind poodle named Nikki, um, who lived with her. She lived in a transitional neighborhood, so it was a time where all of these old houses, like historic homes, were being renovated and upgraded to be more modern. So, by the fact of me giving you this description of Anne, probably tells you that she's going to be the victim of a horrific crime. Um, this is devastating, because these traits is like, if you and I morphed <laughs> as, a, as, as a lady? If we became, if we were both. If we were a 44-year-old woman. If we Power Ranger mighty morphed into a 44-year-old yes. woman. 44-year-old woman. I would imagine that. We would be piano teachers what? that rescue animals. The helpless ones. Yes. Mm-hmm. What so in the world is this? <laughs> so so this oh, is the no. <laughs> oh no. So this was the first house that Anne owned and she lived in it and it was like an adjoining unit, kind of like a townhouse where you share the wall with another house. Okay. Um and her neighbor was twenty eight year old Ross uh Roy Kirk. Uh since she had owned the property two years prior there were complaints against Roy, um, how he, basic, based on, like, how he kept up the property, um, kind of like a pigsty. People didn't really like it. It caused hostility between the neighbors. Um, they would complain to city inspectors, and it was kind of like a point of tension in the neighborhood. So, Kirk and Anne, in particular, had been arguing since the pre- previous summer as Kirk was, you know, supposedly renovating, and Hoover believed that the wor- that the work caused her roof to leak, so what the heck? So she's frustrated. She's at her wit's end. So a city official even said that Kirk had eight thousand dollars in fines against him for the debris Whoa. inside and outside, and for removing the roof. Like the building was condemned, and the city planned to demolish it. Because and of it how he's taking care of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my like, goodness! Like he's gonna Dude, renovate, you're but he just costing a whole ass like building. Yeah, it was bad. So, um, they're like, basically, Anne took him to court over it. So, um, during yeah, because she's about to lose her house. Yeah. So during a court hearing, two weeks prior, Kirk. Um, Roy invited Anne over to look at some of the repairs. He told the judge that she didn't want to go in the house. She told the judge that she didn't want to go in Roy's house alone. So there would be a following court hearing where Roy was going to appeal um, what had happened. And that was set for March 25th at the Allegheny County Courthouse. 
But on March 25th, neither Anne nor Roy showed up to court on the Yikes. 25th for the appeal. So, okay. so police called Anne's house, but nobody answers. And when they couldn't find her, they asked another neighbor and they suggested that they look at Roy's house. Okay. Oh. So, um, yeah. <laughs> her mother was very, like, concerned. I the don't fact- know how I feel about your pause. You're <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Um- so the mother was very, her mother was very concerned that she didn't show to court. Like, it was not like her. She loved that house so much, and she was very interested in keeping up the appearance of the neighborhood and and making the homes look beautiful. She was passionate about this home. Yeah, so the fact that she didn't show up to court, everybody immediately knew that something was wrong. Um, And they were, her mom, like, felt some regret because Anne, a friend was supposed to, you know, bring Anne, and... They had, like, driven separately to court or whatever, so there's a little bit of regret there, but um, but it, it caught everybody off guard. So when the police entered the building of Roy's house, they said it was pretty bleak and condemned. Uh, Roy asked why the police were there, and uh, Officer Drudy said he was there to ask why Kirk wasn't in court. Um, the officer asked a different officer to stay with Roy as he went to look through the rest of the home. So... Was he able to go through the home like that? A reasonable suspicion is what he's got. And um, Kirk allowed it to happen. Oh, okay. You know, so... um, And... um, So when Officer Drudy was walking into the home... Roy was walking from a different direction. So when the other officer is standing with with Roy, Officer Drudy decides to walk in that direction where Roy was coming from. So he's looking. So he he follows like this electrical cord uh, that's connected to some portable lights, and he sees an electrical saw. Uh, and when the officer was looking off to the far corner on the left, he saw what he thought was a mannequin. And when he looks further, he sees that it's actually a woman, a human woman. What the fuck? In the corner. So Officer Drudy goes back to meet with the other officers where Roy is, and they have Roy arrested and put in the back of a van. Um, his hands and his feet were shackled in the van um he was barefoot and like you know he had some he had long, i guess i'm describing to him he had long hair and he's in a ponytail so he gets put in the back of this car and the um police station's only like five minutes away so why they take him away they go the forensic team arrives and goes down into the basement to examine the body of Anne. The body was dismembered, her head was extensively battered, like, beaten, with multiple... Like, multi- did they know immediately, like, this was Anne? Yeah, like, they, they could identify her face. Um, oh, damn. With multiple fractures and lacerations on her face and her head from the blunt force injuries. There was also a noose around her neck. 
When the Yikes. forensic when the forensic team looked up near her body, they found a hole in the wall. Because the home was a connected unit, the sellers of both the homes shared a wall. Roy had removed enough bricks that he could fit his body through the other side. So what the he fuck? went through his wall into Anne's home, caught her off guard, threw what? the noose around her neck, choking Bruh. her and beating her. Once Yo. she was dead, he pulled her back through the wall into his Yo. own basement and dismembered her body. Bro. Yeah. She minding her business. He said, I'm gonna fuck up my house even more. Just to go into your house, mm-hmm. bro. What? Pulled, like, brick by brick. Like, pulled out bricks. Nani? To make a tunnel into her home. Yo. Yes. He's wild. So, meanwhile, like, I remember I told you how They're Roy already is- dealing with the house is messed up. He said, I'm gonna mess up my house more. Mm-hmm. Just to get her. But, like... The fear that your neighbor you're just chilling crawls into your home and chokes you out, catching you off guard. It makes me think of my book. (laughs) Yeah, how he just breaks into the. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you remember how I said Roy was being driven to the police, and that the police station was about five miles away. So his hands and his feet were tied. So once they arrive at the station, about 1041 in the morning, when they open up the back doors, they see that Roy has hung himself. What? Right? You're like, how? There's this huge conspiracy about it. His family was incredibly skeptical. They felt like the police set this up. They're like, how on earth could he actually kill himself? His hands and his feet were shackled. Well, the officers attempted to recreate the scenario, and they figured out that it's entirely most probable and likely that he killed himself. So he, there are like some grates, um, like the like the doors of the of the van, like were grated. So mm-hmm. what he did was he got up on his knees, and with his hands behind his back, he shimmied his belt buckle to. The back of his pants unlooped his belt and unclasped it and then fastened it to the grating on the door in a loop slipped his head through and then leaned forward to kill himself and asphyxiate and 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 and, uh, and kill himself in the van what the f- what? <laughs> yes. What? What? I'm serious. What? Yeah. Bruh. Bruh. Yeah. He said, I'm going to crawl through this wall. I'm going to kill this woman. Oh, I'm going down. I guess I'm going down. Mm-hmm. What? Um, was he on anything? Did they do huh? like a toxicology report? You know, I don't know. Oh my goodness, what? 
Yeah. So he was. Dude. Yeah. And that was all in the matter of the of the drive over to the police station. Yeah. It's like he was insane, but incredibly smart. Yes. He made a tunnel. Yeah. What? Mm -hmm. I'm dude. I'm mind blown right now. That's insane. Yes. Yes. He was going through some mental shit, yo. There well, yeah. Bruh. I'm like, dude, why are you renovating homes? Like, go see a therapist. Move away, bro. Yeah, live why in an apartment, that? dude. Live in a place you don't have to renovate. Go live in a motel or something. Damn. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. And like That's... I said, his family was super skeptical of how he died. But, um, you know, the police officers kind of recreated the scenario to see if it was probable the way that that happened. And they're like, yeah. Yeah, if you're if he was determined. I don't really know if they had like, I don't. Well, they don't really say if there was if he had like a like a reason for them to kill him. You know, it's yeah. Like, so if mm-hmm. there is more reason as to why. There, the conspiracy would make sense as to why the authorities would kill him. I'd believe it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, bro. Yeah, so um, her, Anne's dad, Thomas Hoover, said, um, I still don't believe it. I might wake up. He basically, um, you know, their, her family was obviously devastated about what happened and and how she how she left um he said it's been one fine by the city after another until it adds up to what we have today two lives gone one that was worthwhile in my mind the other i'm not sure this is insane um in particular mary ann what do you say that's insane yeah yeah, Marianne Anderson, um, later, years later, I don't think I wrote down what year, but essentially, um, old friends donate, uh, Marianne Anderson donated five acres of property in Ross for a community park, and they basically, um, it's like a memorial to Ann Hoover and, like, uh, what she did for, the community you know she was very well loved she was you know a babysitter she was um a part of you know people's music programs she was raising animals you know um her family she was doing good deeds everyone appreciated her so yeah yeah she was very very well loved um they said in particular um her mother said she was a fine music- musician and helped raise funds for the Pittsburgh Symphony. She loved animals, especially her poodle, Nikki. Um, my faith has gotten to me at this point. Then my family, of course, and my friends. But faith first for, you know, how she survived the death of her daughter. Um, they sold Anne's house. Obvious for for obvious reasons. Yeah, there's um, a tunnel now. <laughs> yeah, they said that it was so beautiful, and we had worked on so much of it together. It had a great view. It was also a great house for parties. There was lots of laughter. 
Anne's Steinway piano is now at her mother's home, but nobody plays it. Her mom says, maybe I'll play, I'll start to play a little soon. She said, you know, I have no doubt that I will see Anne again. I truly believe that. Damn. Yeah, and that, uh, that's the story of the death, uh, the murder, suicide of Anne Hoover and Roy Kirk. That's insane, yo. Yeah, that's, so um, there was, um, what was something the... S- something simple that escalated so much, and it really led to something deadly. Like, that's, wow. Mm-hmm. The show that I watched for uh the episode was on youtube and i just clicked on it and it got taken down because i can't remember the name of the show that i used as a reference but i found the clip of it on youtube i can't remember the name of it but there was a show i want to say like in the 90s kind of forensic file style that did like a six minute clip on it and you know as always i'll put my um resources in the description um, but yeah, this is such a crazy case. Obviously, my connection was the fact that, uh, you know, there's a tunnel <laughs> involved. Yeah. Now, granted, <laughs> the tunnel is between two homes. Um, but blunt force trauma, obviously, but just a wild scenario. It was very wild. Like, dude, that's unfortunate. That's, a, that's unfortunate. another psychological thriller right there. For sure. Like, I was already thinking of my book. I'm like, yo! Mm-hmm. That's, wow. That's a twist. That's wild, huh? Yeah. So that's that's the story of the of the death of uh, the murder of Ann Hoover and the suicide of Roy Kirk and the end yep. of our, our Road True Crime episode. I hope y'all found it fascinating. I mm-hmm. hope y'all enjoyed this episode. And happy Mother's Day mm-hmm. weekend. To all the beautiful mothers out yes. there, happy we love you all. Mm-hmm. Mo- mother's you. Day. I love you all. I love you, mom. Mm-hmm. My mom. I love you, mom. I love you, you mom. The bomb. Com. Let's we thank come the mothers. Way. We thank all the mothers. <laughs> and y'all go through so much. Mm-hmm. We appreciate. Yep, and we only have um five episodes left in this season i can't believe it's gone by so fast it's insane so thank Mm y'all for sticking around with us we appreciate very much we'll be back next week with the skull in the desert yes we will and we'll catch y'all then all right bye i'm leaving now i'm going i'm going to bed I'm, i'm so tired i'm leaving now Good Goodbye. good night. Good night, good sir. Good morning. Good morning. Good evening. Goodbye. Elfie. Next week on The Heart and the Bones. Mm-hmm. And she decides she's going to write everything positive in there, good things, you know, memories, whatever. And cool. Next mm-hmm. page. Alicia was 33 years old when she murdered her husband. <laughs> Nani? Why did she murder her 